Welcome to the Novice Nurse Podcast, where I will be talking with new and seasoned nurses about transitions, challenges, and successes of being a registered nurse. I'm your host, Amanda Addis. I'm a professor at Mid-American Nazarene University and a nurse for the last 14 years. Today we have a registered nurse, Allie Entiel, on the podcast, and Allie's going to be talking to us about her experience as a first-year nurse in the intensive care unit. Let's get started. Welcome, Allie, to the podcast today. Allie, thanks for meeting me here. Thank you for having me. I'm glad you took the time out of your day to meet me, and we can just chat about what your first couple years of nursing has looked like. So can you give me um, a little background on why you became a nurse and kind of what the first couple of years have looked like for you? Yeah, I feel everybody has this really deep meaning of why they became a nurse. And I have just always loved healthcare. That's really it. And I always love taking care of people. I just kind of felt like nursing is something I was going to give a shot and I fell in love with it. It's kind of simple and sweet, but... I really have enjoyed it a lot, and it's been my life for the last year, year and a half. All I I think about, which is kind of funny, um, but I feel like being a new grad, like I leave work, and so much has happened. It's always something new that I haven't seen before, and then I have to come home and tell my husband, you'll never believe what I did today. I did this, this, and he's like, okay, cool. (laughs) And he has no idea, but it's just... Non-medical people just don't get it, do they? No. 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 No, it, It... Sounds cheesy, but it's just been my life for the last year. So Yeah. So you went to MNU. Yeah. You graduated in 2019. 19. Okay. I was going to guess 18. I lose track so easily. So 19. So we are just on this year mark for you. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about what helped you decide where you were going to work and what type of nursing you were going to go into. Yeah. So I started out thinking all I wanted to do was pediatrics or NICU or labor and delivery. Um, My grandmother is a lactation consultant and has been that forever. Um, My sister wanted to do labor and delivery, so I ended up with a PCT job um, in mother-baby, and I loved it. I thought it was fun. I really enjoyed doing, like, baby baths, and then I'd float to the NICU sometimes, and I just I really liked it um, and never thought I'd want to work with adults who were sick. Like I've mm-hmm. always told myself, like I didn't want to take care of somebody that didn't take care of themselves. Then I had capstone in ICU and I figured that was the one clinical site that I hadn't really got that opportunity in. And I was try just try it for the experience to say I did. And I fell in love with it from my first capstone shift. And I don't know if it was just the combination of my preceptor and the unit I was on or what, but since capstone from my first day, I changed my mind. I said, this is what I want to do. I feel so comfortable here. And so I ended up applying at a life medical center, got hired into the ICU as a new grad, which was scary, but the capstone experience really helped a lot versus, you know, normal new grads get 12 weeks of orientation. And I essentially had 20 which was yeah, awesome. that's awesome. So, <laughs> do they have a residency program there at Olathe? Yeah, they do. And I actually didn't think I'm gonna get hired into the ICU. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually applied for the residency and got it as well. You're just not guaranteed a spot in the ICU. You can float there for three weeks, and then at the end, they only had one ICU spot open. 
And so the mm -hmm. other new grad they hired was from our residency program. But... So you didn't actually go through the residency program at all. You just no. graduated, had your capstone experience before graduation, graduated, and then just started full force in the ICU. Yeah. Yep. Wow. <laughs> that had to be quite the experience, just like jumping in both feet first. Yeah, it is. And it's every person I've talked to that's graduated nursing school has always validated this. But when you graduate, you feel like you didn't. You're like, what did I just learn? You don't know. Right, <laughs> like, yeah. You know, you don't know. Right. Um, and I feel like all of my nursing knowledge really came out, of, out in my capstone. That's where I, it all kind of clicked for me. And then it just kind of helps with orientation and everything like that as well. I just kind of that kind of clicked, but then when I, being ICU, we float everywhere. So they'll mm -hmm. float me to a med surge unit and I'm like, I don't know what to do with four patients. That is something that I, it, that's been harder for me to adjust because I am such an in-depth person in the ICU and I know everything there is to know about my patient, their history, mm -hmm. their family. I know all this stuff and I go to the floor and that's just not how it goes there. You know? Right. It's not feasible to sit and know everything about all four of your patients and be able to answer every question. Yeah. So there, there definitely comes a lot of specialty personalities with each type of nursing. Yeah, for sure. And so and you've been working now in the ICU at Olathe for the last year mm -hmm. and floating here and there, getting onto those med surge units from time to time. Do you think you made the right choice? Still loving it a year out? Yes. Yeah, I am. And, you know, really excited. It's, after a year you we get open heart certified so oh, that's, yeah. and crrt certified so that's my next steps for this fall this summer this fall it kind of got put on hold because of covid but right. i am really excited about that and then i also am cross training to the er just as well good experience. so yeah it's definitely the right choice and probably the best decision i've ever made good so, well i'm yeah. glad you're really loving it I think it's so funny to think back just like one year ago, you're just starting into your nursing job and you already said like, you felt like you knew nothing. You went to school for these two years and you came out and you're like, I know nothing. Like how did, how did I make it through these two years? So I'm sure your critical thinking from, you know, day one on the job till now has really changed a lot. Can you talk about how that's changed from day one till now and just give a little insight into what that first year looks like? Yeah, there's a big thing that sticks out. So my first few, probably two weeks of orientation in ICU, I, like I said, I had capstone, so I kind of knew how things were going, but I was on day shift orientation. So that's just a whole number, like yeah. different things going on with doctors and family, all that stuff. So, and I felt like I was nursing student there, you know, and I had really, you know, I just followed my preceptor around and like, I would hang meds and she, we would kind of talk about things and learning, but I still felt like it felt like capstone until there was one day where just, you know, a series of events on my, on the unit, um, my preceptor had to go emergently assist another nurse. And I kind of got left with this STEMI on event and two weeks of <laughs> orientation and was kind of just thrown to the wolves, but welcome to the ICU. Yes. And I, I flew like I, I, there was, we had another patient too, and they were more stable. I can't even remember what they were there for, but I had this semi on event and who, you know, had gone into cardiogenic shock and, uh, had flash pulmonary edema, all this stuff going on. And I kind of just got thrown into it and I didn't fail. 
Yeah. I, I knew what I was doing and it was weird. And that's where I really, I feel like my critical thinking skills started because I was able to, you know, identify, you know, when he needed more supplemental oxygen, you know, and how to manage my time and, you know, when to ask for help if I didn't know something. And it was, mm -hmm. I feel like from there, I've just really grown. And kind of like I said earlier, I, I tend to doubt myself. <laughs> a lot. Uh, my self-confidence isn't the greatest. I'm always, af I'm afraid of making a mistake. And oh, so you have pretty critical patience. So I, that's, that's a valid concern. I think yes. one little small wrong move and you feel like, Oh, this could really go downhill quick. Right. Right. And that's, I told my preceptor after I got up orientation, um, from the second, I was like, do you think I'm going to kill somebody? And she's like, no. I think you're fine. Like they would not let you off orientation if they thought that. Right, right. So every time I, you know, go to work, I'm like, okay, I got to keep my patients alive today. That's the goal. Yeah, don't <laughs> and kill so, Yeah. And, you know, I really, it's really hard to describe my critical thinking skills, I feel like, but I, I just try to think about everything from all aspects. And when I second guess myself, we had these handy dandy red books at my, on my units next to every room that has all of my drip titanium titrations, all my protocols that I need to know, all the stuff. And if I can't find it in there, I ask a lot of questions and I ask for help. I think that, you know, my critical thinking skills are just solely based on keep my patients alive. And then <laughs> if I question myself, yeah. ask somebody else first. Well, I mean, and I can already tell that your knowledge has grown a lot since you graduated for you to sit there and say, okay, I had this STEMI patient that was on a vent and they were going into cardiogenic shock and you're listening to all these things. That's like, those are really intense things going on with your patient and you understood what was happening. Right. And so the fact that you're able to kind of bring all of the knowledge back up to this example and implement it with your patient, I think that's amazing. Even just two weeks into your orientation. So I think right, that's, right. that's really good. I think a lot of students graduate and they feel very much like you felt, I don't know if I can do this. I'm really nervous. I don't have a lot of confidence because what did I really learn in the last year or two in nursing school? You really learn a lot, but you don't really know you know it until right. you hands on a patient exactly what the book just talked about. Right. You, right. Know, you know, you have that big shift in critical thinking from student to nurse, kind of student to novice nurse. And you're, you're really focusing on that continuous improvement for your patient. Like you said, you don't want them to go downhill. You don't want to make that mistake. So how are you supported through that transition? Are they giving you some education at your hospital on how to best care for your ICU patients? Are they always keeping you guys up to date on evidence base? How is the hospital supplementing, you know, you learning as you're in within your first year? Right. Starts out basic. We have new grad courses. So even though I wasn't part of a residency, I still went to class with the residents. Um, I think I had three or four days of courses. And we talk about, you know, how to care for all these patients, when to call a rapid response and all mm -hmm. that stuff, which doesn't really apply to ICU, which is just interesting. Because you are rapid. Yeah, we are the rapid response. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, do all that. And then there's a program. I haven't got to start it yet. Things kind of got pulled, put on hold with change in clinical educators and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. for my but the, we have a program called ECHO and I guess it, it takes about a year to finish and it kind of goes through just online lessons of 
all these different things you see in the ICU. And I'm really excited to try it. I don't know much more about it. But so besides those couple things, we really just, you know, have a really good support system. So our charge nurse doesn't take patients unless it's emergent and they have to. Uh, they're really good about checking on the newer nurses. So they'll mm -hmm. come up with us and every time you have a question or a new patient with something, you get a printout. It says, here, yeah. read this, keep this in your locker for when you need it, you know? And so I have overflowed my, I bought a, one of those fancy clipboards for my clinical experience in nursing school. Yeah. It's overflowing of paperwork with protocols or, you know, how to zero an art line or, you yeah. know, titrate certain meds and different kinds of shock, what you're looking for, all that stuff. So I think a lot of it is supplemented through that kind of thing. And then my preceptor was the best preceptor I could have had. She was fantastic and always had an answer for everything and yes. always knew where to find answers. So we have a lot of resources on our unit that we use. Like I talked about that red book and there's, we have a whole bookshelf of stuff. So that's kind of where my knowledge is supplemented for now until I get to go through my echo program. And, and I think it's still awesome that your preceptor is kind of leading by example. And she probably has come across things that she didn't know. And she's mm -hmm. like, oh, well, let's just grab the red book or let's just look this up in this program or, you know, whatever your resor resources are there. And I think that that's so important. We can't remember everything. Right, right. Even if you do like a heparin drip 700 times, your patient weighs different every single time. Right. And their PT, PTT, INR, all of that's different every single time. So it's like, okay, I need to get the book out again. Let's make sure right. I'm doing this right. Yeah, you know, exactly. And that's just an example. But I mean, the second we start relying, I think, just on our brain is the mm -hmm. second, like, I'm going to be in trouble. You know, right. like, like, something might actually go wrong here. Yeah. Well, and like I said earlier, I ask a lot of questions. So I am that person that I will go hunt my preceptor down and from orientation and capstone and just be like, hey, tell me about this. Like, why am I, why is my patient getting this medication? And yeah. we will go through it. Or, I mean, I've gone as far as when the physicians, if they're rounding early enough and I see them before report, I ask yeah. them, you know, oh, what do you think is going on with them? Or why do you, why is this lab level so off? And I think that that's really, really helps with, my knowledge base is because I ask questions all the time. <laughs> no, and I think that is super important. Probably the ongoing theme that I hear from everybody that, I, that I've talked to is team. You mm -hmm. know, teamwork. I don't do it on my own. I've been talking to nurses who have been nurses for, you know, 15 years or more. And they still say, oh, teamwork. If I don't know something, I go to one of my colleagues who I ask questions to. Or sometimes it's even, I go to the new nurse because I know they just got out of school and they remember, you know, right. like exactly that thing that they taught them in school. And so it's so fun to hear every nurse talk about teamwork and how nursing shift people. That's like their family, mm -hmm. you know, so that's, I love to hear that. And I just feel like every nurse that I've talked to, that's like the ongoing theme. Oh yeah. I call it, I call it my social time. Yeah. <laughs> I, have couple, I have a couple weeks of really, you know, for lack of a better word, crappy schedule on one, off one, on two, off one. Yeah. In working nights, that's just um, a lot more difficult anyways. So it's my social hour. I go and I, those people are my friends. They are my family. And it's, you know, one thing that 
I, people ask me if I'm going to work there forever. I'm like, well, I don't want to leave. Yeah. You know, I'm so attached to them and it's only been a year. So <laughs> well, I think it's so fun because it's like, oh, it's so-and-so's birthday. So we're having a birthday party or we ordered yeah. in for, you know, so-and-so passed the test and we're super excited for him. So, I mean, it definitely is another family, you know, outside oh, of your own blood family. Right, right. Let's talk a little bit about the interventions that you provide to your patients. And since you are, you know, one year nurse, how do you ensure that they're evidence-based or that they're the safest thing for your patient? Or is that something you're still learning? It's definitely something I'm still learning. I tend to ask, again, ask questions. Yeah. I ask around some of the older nurses that have been ICU nurses for 20, 30 years. Yeah. And then I ask, you know, nurses that have been ICU nurses for three or four years, but still really experienced. Everybody has their own different methods of what they are going to do and what they're not going to do. And so I talked to both of them. And then I, I feel like my unit is always really good about evidence-based practice. And we always have some sort of literature about that or somebody mm -hmm. has an answer to that about what we're doing as a standard. That's how I try to keep up with evidence-based practice. And then, you know, I, I read, you know, blogs and articles and stuff about that. Yeah. And I think it's refreshing to me to still see how excited you are about nursing and how it's still kind of almost new. I mean, I know it's a year in, but you're like, I still just eat, sleep, dream nursing, yes. you know, <laughs> because I, I think that just really reiterates that it's the right space for you, you know, yeah. the right the right career. I know as you guys care for patients in the ICU, you're constantly assessing and revising their plan of care and looking at those things. Can you walk me through maybe a time where you came into the patient's room and you kind of anticipated it to be a certain way, but it was either like better or worse. And then how did you respond, you know, as their primary caregiver at that moment to this change? Yeah, my mind goes probably to the hardest night of work I've ever had. I came in and I had a standard GI bleed patient. She was an alcoholic, but she had a GI bleed and we were trying to give her blood. We didn't have blood for her. She had a weird antibody. We had to contact the blood center for it. Mm. And so we were monitoring her because she had critical hemoglobin levels and didn't have blood for this person. I come in, I'm like, okay, it's going to be kind of an easy night, you know, whatever. I, I was open for an admit. I see her, she looks fine, and I go out, I go get her meds, and within 15 minutes, she's calling me, and she starts vomiting, and her pressure tanks goes from 120 to 70s, and I was like, oh, Whoa. gosh, there's something going on. <laughs> I know, I was like, well, that's going on, so then I recheck it, sure enough, it's still going, it's still in the 70s, and I'm in that moment, okay, got to get her pressure up start bolusing her. I asked for help. This is, and this was three, four months ago. So I was, you know, not very far off orientation. Right. You know, I'm asking for help and all this other stuff. And long story short, this patient, no matter what I did, when I went in that room the next time, she was worse than when I left. <laughs> it was just one of those where I had to step back and think, what is going on with her? Why is she so sick? What is, she had a GI bleed. That was it. And yeah. we just could not figure out. And by the end of the night, we had, you know, emergent central line placed. She was maxed on three different pressors, intubated, all these other things. But it was really trying on my ego as a nurse. I had felt like I was doing so well. And then I had this patient. I'm like, well, what did I just do for this patient? What did I miss? Did I do something? Yeah. Did I miss something in my assessment? And, you know, I had physicians and you know, my charge nurse, all these other nurses that were helping me reiterate, like, you did great with this patient. I'm really proud of you. 
it was one of those things that that's when I really learned you have to step out and not only assess what's going on, but assess the big picture. My patient had gone attended, and the one thing I didn't think of was a blood sugar. I didn't step out of my thing. I assumed it was hemorrhagic shock because she was bleeding, right? Oh, for sure. And she went septic. It was septic shock, and her blood sugar was like 14 or something like that. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> it was bad. Um, and, you know, it, from that point on, I have always, you know, made sure that I step back and you always have time to think. You always yeah. you can always take 30 seconds to think about why is my patient coding? Why is my patient desatting? What is the root of my problem? Not just, oh, they're desatting, they need more oxygen, but are they, is their ET tube blocked? Is there, yeah. you know what I mean? Do they have yeah. a pneumo? All these other things that you have to step back and look at the whole picture. And I think that that's really when I learned how to do that and then where to go from there. <laughs> yeah. I think that a lot of times we feel like we should just inherently be able to think through those situations. But honestly, I mean, even in my own practice, it's been more of a trial by fire. Mm -hmm. You are forced to critically think when you have to critically think. Yeah. When, you, when you know something bad is going to happen, that's when you have to decide like, okay, I'm taking a step back. I need to look at the big picture and figure out what's going on with my patient. And so, yeah, definitely from my personal experience, I agree 100%. But I think what's also super important is that you didn't continue on by yourself trying to figure out this situation. Maybe the second time you went in the room and you were like, I don't know why nothing is working. Mm -hmm. That's when you're reaching out for help. Right. You know, so I think that's part of the critical thinking too, trying not to just keep pushing forward on your own because mm -hmm. you want to bring other brains to the table, so to speak. So let's figure this out and get the best outcome, you know, for my patient. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, one of my shortcomings just as a person, I feel like is not knowing when to ask for help. Like I always overload my plate with even non-nursing related, but everything. And I stress myself out. And then, you know, that's been one of the biggest things I've had to learn is when to look at my patient and be like, I don't know what to do next. I need somebody else's brain because yeah. it's not working right now. Right. So. Well, yours is working, but you, I mean, the other brains that you're tapping into have been through that experience, maybe exactly that experience. Yeah. And it's so much easier to turn to the other nurse and be like, have you seen this before? And then go, yeah, this is what we did. And then you go, yeah. oh, good. That eases your yeah. brain, but then still you remember it for the future because you've experienced it at that point. Oh, yeah. So you guys, I don't know how often you're sending patients home from the ICU, probably not as often as you would on a med search floor, but patient teaching starts from the beginning of when you admit them, basically. Mm -hmm. Every time you go into the room, you're teaching them something, you're teaching their family member something. How, as a new nurse, have you seen your teaching your patients change, you know, from maybe your capstone experience when you got to go in and do a little teaching to mm -hmm. when you first started there on the ICU floor during orientation and even now off of orientation, how have you seen your patient teaching change? My, it goes back to my preceptor. I'm telling you, I couldn't have gotten placed with a better preceptor for my capstone experience, but because I had her for orientation as well. And she, okay. from the beginning, I got to watch her, she likes to teach. So she breaks everything down and really lays it all out for a lot of our teaching. I feel like is 
to family versus the patient um, because mm-hmm. a lot of our patients aren't coherent enough or they're sedated when they are in the ICUs. But she breaks it down in, in really simple terms for these patients and their family members because, you know, it is such a scary time having a family member in the ICU. And I feel like from, you know, my capstone, I would, she'd send me in there, you know, she'd be sitting outside the room and she'd send me in there and be like, okay, you know, just go spike this antibiotic. And I'm like, okay, so she, you know, I'm going in there spiking the antibiotic and they're, why are you starting that? And you have to explain, well, they're septic because of this urinary tract infection they have. And Mm -hmm. this is the, you know, broad spectrum antibiotics, but we're also getting ones that just cover the bacteria we think it is. And it started from there. And then I have, because family is so on edge. I have done so much education. I feel like more than probably what I do if I float to the floor Mm -hmm. um, because I don't have all of those burning questions from my family members. It's helped me grasp certain concepts even better because, you know, they always say that you don't fully understand something until you can teach it. And I've had to do that multiple occasions. And I, you know, kind of break down my teaching methods in a bunch of different ways when we get to have visitors in the hospital, I, I show them what I'm looking at. I show them my assessment pieces. And I mean, specifically once I had a alcohol withdrawal patient that's on a ventilator, which is very hard to assess because they're sedated. So a lot of their behaviors are hidden. You know, I was dosing him appropriately with medications from our alcohol withdrawal protocol. And his significant other was like, why are you doing that? He looks fine to me. And I, it's, you know, I had to, you know, pick up his leg and show them the tremor and, you know, bring in my protocol sheet and say, look at this, this is what I'm using. And I think that that helps. I have found that that's some of the best teaching tools that they can see where we're coming from and why we're doing what we're doing, you know, and being very uh, empathetic with my family members to and not getting frustrated by the questions or by them trying to argue with what the treatment that I'm doing and just really trying to keep my composure even though it can be very very frustrating but I think that you know my skills have just grown so much from having to educate multiple times in a shift almost every time you go in the room because family in the ICU is there all the time and everything you do they ask about it you know, why are we doing this? What is this for? What is, you know, what is this beeping sound? <laughs> yeah, I really think education is kind of that central piece for patient-centered care, you know, bringing the family in, bringing the patient into what you're doing so they fully understand what they're experiencing. I think that's really important. Maybe number one, Because if they have a nurse that's not willing to discuss those things with them until they understand and bring it down to those simplified terms, then that's just going to be frustration on their end. Oh, exactly. And then I always, you know, I'm definitely not one of those people that err on the side of being short and sweet. I go into details when I, I hopefully by the end of it, they're like, wow, she needs to stop talking. (laughs) Yeah. Because I am talking their ear off, trying to get them to understand what is going on because I feel I feel like I've had better outcomes that way versus you know being like oh they're septic and they need antibiotics well what are they septic from you know what is the root cause of this how how do we know that they're septic and talk about lab levels and all this stuff so then they ask me how's their lactic acid level you know and yeah and then you're like oh wow they were listening to me yes and um, (laughs) I feel like having them on you know a higher level of understanding has just 
eased a lot of anxiety for patients and their family. Well, I think you just have so much more buy-in to the whole process of treatment, you know, when you're actually able to explain things to them and them understand. I do have another question that's kind of off topic. So you're one year in, you know, you're young, you show up to the ICU, you know, fresh-faced, excited for your shifts. Have you gotten any kickback from patients or families? You don't look old enough to be doing this. Because I know some of our other students graduating may be in that same boat and just kind of curious how you handled that if you in fact had that or didn't have that. So you, will you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, it happens a lot, you know, from, I, I mean, simple things that I walk in the room and it's a family member saying, how old are you? The first thing that comes out of their mouth and it, it's really easy for me to just be like old enough to do my job. That's really all you have to know. Um, <laughs> and depending on, right. And depending on what my patient's there for and kind of the dynamic in the room, there are times where I haven't told them. And I said, you know, I have a four year degree and I am old enough to take care of your loved one here. And I keep it that way. And then there, you know, then you get your old, little old ladies like, Oh my gosh, how old are you? <laughs> I had a patient tell me I looked exactly like his 13 year old granddaughter. Oh, good. So, and I was like, Oh, great. <laughs> I was like, I'm sure that instills lots of confidence in you. He's like, no, no, I trust you. So, well, I mean, I know any of us, no matter the age or whatever, when we walk into a patient's room, they kind of have that first impression just based off of our appearance. And so I think that, you know, what I'm getting from you is it's really important to just instill into that family member that you have the experience, yeah. you're ready, you're excited to care for their loved one. Yeah. No matter, you know, what their first impression of you looking at you might be. Cause I, cause I think that, you know, it doesn't matter. Like if I walk into the patient's room, they're going to have this first impression of something, yes. you know, yeah. and they're going to wonder like, oh, does she know what she's doing? Because it's their loved one they're really concerned about. And I think that's where bringing the, the family in, like you were saying, to all of the conversations and showing them things is mm -hmm. really just going to prove to them over and over again that you know what you're doing. Yeah, I think, and that's probably probably where some of my communication style comes into play is because, you know, I try to, you know, prove myself, like, I actually know what I'm talking about, you know, and right. this, you know, you can trust me that I'm going to take care of them. And then, you know, I also have adapted kind of like a, a strong front at times when needed, you know, if you mm -hmm. we have bad, confused patients or, <laughs> yeah. you know, people on drugs coming down from drugs and all that stuff. And I do go in with a stern, you know, a stern, I call it my mom voice. I will have perfect mm -hmm. a mom voice by the time I have kids. Um, That's how you talk to your dogs yes. in your kennel. No. <laughs> exactly. That is how I treat my fur babies. And, you know, I'll do that. And I am very, very stern with them to kind of let them know that they, they can't take advantage of me because I look 16, 18. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, normally I would, I used to, you know, try to, you know, make myself look even more presentable when I went to work, you know, put some makeup on so I don't look so young. And mm -hmm. now, like, you know, it gets all over my mask and it's just, yes, yeah, not so, worth it. Yeah, that's just gone out the window. But, you know, I just feel like having to, having that strong front of confidence paired with, you know, like sharing my knowledge with them has really kind of helped me overcome that piece. Yeah. They may not feel super confident in me because I look so young. 
Yeah, and we, I mean, I always go back to how we teach in school and we really teach about that rapport that you build with your patients being that foundation of, mm -hmm. of the care that you can provide to them and, you know, getting them to trust you from the beginning because of your knowledge and your ability to care for them. I think it's, it's definitely coming across, you know, when you go into the patient's room versus maybe the first impression that they get of the nurse of, you know, worry because it's their loved one they're worried about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So you're wrapping up your first year. You're, you're basically done with the first year, right? So you're just yeah. over maybe a month done with your first year of nursing. I guess my final question for you, and I've gotten to ask this to everybody that I've chatted with, what are the three things that you wish you would have known when you very first started a year ago? First and foremost being, it's okay to not know everything. I know in nursing school, like I would really try to know everything there is to know and really try to grasp that. And, but it's okay to have to look things up. It is okay, you know, to ask questions. Obviously to an extent, you need to practice and be a safe nurse. It doesn't mean that you're not smart enough or good enough to do your job if you have to ask those things. And it's so much more safe to ask the questions than it is to not ask the questions. You know, like I said that, you know, I struggle knowing when to ask for help. And I, that has been, you know, the one thing that I've seen myself grow with the most over the last year is knowing when I need help and when to ask those questions. So, you know, I would, looking back, tell myself, you know, it's okay to not know everything. And the chances of you actually knowing everything are so slim, like even when you've been Maybe when you've been an ICU nurse for 30, 40 years. I mean, even then, I yeah. still feel like the most dangerous nurses out there are the ones that think they know everything. Right, right. That one. Um, and then it's been, with working nights, it's been really hard to maintain my home life. So looking back a year ago, I would say, you know, set a schedule yeah. to have dinner with your significant other or your mom or make time for family, especially mm -hmm. if you work nights, because it gets really hard because I leave for work sometimes before my husband gets home from work and we go two or three days without really seeing each other. The occasional phone call, I'll call him on my way home because um, he's mm -hmm. leaving for work. <laughs> so <laughs> I would say that's a big thing because if you don't take care of yourself at home and have that time to de-stress with your loved one, I feel like it's really hard and emotionally trying to, especially being in an ICU setting where sometimes I feel like my patients die every single day. Right. <laughs> I'm like, I call myself the angel of death occasionally. <laughs> because we, all, like we all have a black cloud with us from time to time. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, it's really emotionally trying on yourself if you don't make time for that de-stress with and just time to kind of forget about work as much fun as it is to eat sleep and dream nursing right. but you need you need a break you do um, and then third i would say maybe something i didn't know but something i have improved over the last year um is the empathy i have for my patients really something that i think uh, you see a lot of nurses go in and they're really just you know hard almost like mm -hmm. um, they see something and they like oh that's sad but it doesn't really 
nurses become like super stoic. You, yes. you embrace this like really emotional situation and really sad, or you've been caring for this patient over the last two weeks and then they pass and you're like, you know, it's, it's an emotional situation, but yeah. for some reason nurses are viewed as being like no emotion and we have to be really stoic and, mm -hmm. and, and we don't have to. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. I'm not, I'm, I'm not that person that cries all the time. Yeah, like, me I, I don't think I've cried. Uh, I cry when I get mad. And I cry when I get stressed. But I don't think I've cried when my patients pass. But making sure that you really give your patients the time and the family the time. Because, you know, being in an ICU, we do have unexpected deaths. And I've had to have those hard conversations with family, mm -hmm. you know. Or you have a patient, you know, during COVID, we didn't have family members. And I had a patient die by himself yeah, and it is hard and I I took an hour and a half out of my shift um and made sure my charge nurse watched my other patient and I sat at his bedside and held his hand and that was really important to me that he didn't go alone and yeah. I think that making sure that I guess don't be too stoic would be my message yeah. um, I tend to ramble but no you're like, okay I think that that becoming detached emotionally Mm -hmm. from your patients is easy to do because we can become so task oriented. Yes. Like I'm going to check this bit. Okay. How's his heart doing? Okay. Heart's yeah. okay. And we kind of forget sometimes that in the bed is a person. Yeah. And so no. And I, I think those are really great tips for these guys that are just going to be starting out here mm -hmm. in just a few short weeks. Yeah. With, you know, the, you know, not being too stoic, but that is what is emotionally trying on you. And it kind of just connects to my other point. Make sure that you de-stress because it does build up. <laughs> it does yeah. build up and it, it, you carry it a lot with you. So, and, and de-stressing from your job is not wrong. You no. Know? And I think it, oh, if I'm not loving every minute, am I me meant to do this? Well, yeah, yeah. but we have to de-stress and figure out that healthy balance, you know, so we can go in and be the best nurse that we can be for our patients and not feel burnt out. Yes, exactly. Because so, that burnout happens so fast. Oh, it can yeah. happen within a week, you know, mm -hmm. have a bad week and you're like, oh, I don't think I can do this anymore. But yeah. But if you remember, you know, those types of things, that healthy balance and you know, all that, that can be super helpful. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I've been so happy to be able to chat with all of these nurses and just kind of get a new perspective on everyone. I think that, you know, I've had an assortment of people that I've talked to from people I went to school with all the way until like students that I've had. And I think it's just super fun to be able to sit and chat with you guys. So I'm really grateful that you took the time out of your day right before you're going to work to talk with us about you know, your first year of nursing and what that has looked like. And I hope that you continue to go throughout your second and third and 15th year of nursing with that same excitement. Thank you for having me. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. I was really excited to get to do this and I'm very eager to see where I go. So yeah, super exciting. Well, thanks again for chatting with me and I'll try to talk with you again soon. All right. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Novice Nurse Podcast with Amanda Addis and our special guests for this episode, Ali and Teal. 
Next time we will be meeting to talk about communication. So I hope you'll be able to join us for that. Until next time.